Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey, and I'm being joined today by two local filmmakers and good friends, Kyle Klieg of Dirty Sweater Productions and Lakota Ruby Eck, the cinematographer extraordinaire. Kyle, Lakota, what's going on, guys? Uh, nothing much. Just uh, finally coming to an end of, of funneling as much Cronenberg media into my body as I can in a short amount of time. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Yeah. How are you doing after consuming so much Cronenberg in such a short period of time? Uh, uh, strange, different. I, I feel like part of me deep inside has has changed. You know, so, something something unmentionable. A great transformation, feel, indeed. Yeah, but I feel I feel a compulsion to talk about it at length. Yeah, so we are going to be talking about the filmography of David Cronenberg. His new film, Crimes of the Future, is coming out on June 2nd, so we figured we'd get together and power rank his entire filmography up to this point. To do so, we are going to be drinking a beer, as we always do. I grabbed Eviscerated Pathway of Beauty by Tired Hands Brewing Company, a double IPA. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a perfect beer name. It sounds like they probably named it after a Cronenberg thing. It's. It sounds like it would be a, a movie that he made for sure. Like, 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 uh, late seventies, early eighties, Cronenberg, starring James Woods or Jeremy Irons. Probably Definitely Jeremy. Jeremy Irons. Irons. <laughs> or both, even. Yeah, but it's Ugh. like you know, it's like right down the middle of what Cronenberg's about. The beauty of the human body after it's been eviscerated so you know here we are uh, in the words of dead ringers they should have competitions for the insides of people's bodies or be- beauty competitions. beauty contests best spleen so this is the ideal beer for this discussion we're going to get into it As I mentioned, we are doing this in honor of the imminent release of Crimes of the Future coming out on June 2nd. It's been showing at some film festivals, but you know, we're not we're not in the know, so we can't see those things necessarily. But the trailer has come out. I imagine we've all seen it. Kyle, how are you feeling about this movie? Um, I mean, excited to say the least. Uh Cronenberg coming back to body horror after all this time and He's very clearly at an age where he just, I mean, he's never cared what people thought, but this is definitely like, oh, I'm I'm possibly on my way out. I'm just going to go for it. So it looks like he's channeling all of his perverse energies into this one thing. And a perverse Cronenberg is a Cronenberg I likes. Yeah, I mean, like you said, returning to body horror after all this time, I feel like the last one that was like truly full on body horror was Crash. Am I wrong? Uh, maybe Existence, you could argue. I think Existence is obviously a little more fun, but I think that's, you know, neither here nor there. I'll say Existence. Uh, I, I, well, I think that, that there's, there's even hints of body horror in his more recent movies. It's just not so, uh, physically in front of you, you know, like it's, 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 there, there's more of the psychological aspect of it and stuff. So I feel like I feel like Dangerous Method would probably be the one with the last real moments of body horror. 
but if we're going ones for where it's it's so immediately in front of you in display uh it's probably existence yeah i think i think that's probably right and you know regardless of body horror it's his first movie in eight years the last one was maps to the stars in 2014 so it's just been a while since we've gotten a cronenberg movie full stop regardless of the genre and the trailer to this one looks bonkers to say the least so you know kyle what you mentioned about him just kind of going full cronenberg it seems from the trailer that we've watched that i've had a couple friends reach out to me who are not kind of body horror fans and just be like yo this movie and yeah i mean i'm excited to say the least lakota how are you feeling I mean, I'm I'm definitely excited. It's it's cool seeing. I, I generally try to avoid as much pre-hype to a movie before it comes out as I can, but because I follow so many horror websites, because uh, I exist in so many circles where m- movies by Cronenberg and such, that kind of thing is so heavily discussed and advertised. It's been very hard to avoid any. Uh, uh, murmurs or anything about it, and so many people are talking about how even like the first five minutes of the movie are making people walk out and be so disgusted and if we're only getting like moments of it in the trailer i can't even imagine what the movie itself is going to be like because also any any trailer of cronenberg movies you watch i think he's really good at sort of of staying on top of his trailers and not letting them reveal too much about the movie itself so i I can only imagine i'm bummed because i actually have read the script (laughs) ah yeah. Um, so I'm assuming I know what happens just from the things I've seen in the trailer. I'll say that. Say nothing else. I want to know nothing. I'm in the Lakota boat of I try and avoid everything until like the moment I go, including reviews, including anything. I I just try and like shut it all out. Uh, but I have watched the trailer. am very excited. And, you know, that's one thing I did want to ask. Do you think audiences are, like, ready for this? Because I feel like in the horror space, at least mainstream horror, it's gotten soft, like, the last 10 years or so. Are they ready for, like, a full-on Cronenberg body horror experience? Uh, I think uh, it's less of wondering if people are going to be ready or not, uh, at least in my opinion. I, I feel like to some degree some will be, some won't be, but... It's just who is going to see this movie? You know, how many people are seeing the trailer for this movie that are the the uninitiated in, in terms of Cronenberg stuff and are going to see it and be like, yes, that's a movie that we need to go see in theaters. Like the clip of the man with all of the ears sewn to his body and stuff. I feel like someone just being at home after a nine five see that trailer, like, I'm good on that one. Thanks. But I also, who knows, you know, like this is like, I, I could be completely wrong and, and the hype behind it could be uh, palpable and, and it could make tons of money, but I somewhat doubt it if, if history is an indicator. For the record, I also doubt it. Kyle, what about you? Uh, I don't, I highly doubt it's going to make a ton of money. I think it'll probably do better than its last few only because it'll get the uh, creeps like us to the theater. But I do think in terms of the public at large it's becoming more and more acceptable to see like the body be like rebuilt and destroyed on screen i mean not just because of horror going soft but we are seeing a lot more films kind of tap into the body and body horror and i think it's 
becoming a little easier for audiences to accept and to see. Still don't think that's going to translate to big box office ever unless this was like the fly part two. <laughs> and I think it's interesting to see how he's kind of influenced culture and how films have kind of cropped up around him. Like you see Titanus come out. Um, the new film Men has some elements of body horror to it. It, it was funny I, when I saw Men, they had the trailer for Crimes for the Future beforehand and I wasn't expecting it to be such a Cronenberg-centric movie going into it. So immediately having the trailer and then watching the movie itself and being like, wow, I feel like I'm watching some weird uh, Cronenberg uh, growth by someone else, you know? He's infected us all. Yeah, I mean, I actually do feel like it's become a little bit more acceptable because even some of the more mainstream stuff, like, uh, do you guys watch those Fear Street movies on Netflix? Um, I wanted to, but I missed out. Anyway, the first one includes a pretty gnarly kill that I wasn't expecting, and it was just like, whoa, I didn't think they could do this in, like, mainstream horror fare anymore. And then uh, Lee Janiak, the director, she did it, and I was like, dope, let's fucking go. Not a great movie, but you know it was fun for moments. From from what I remember, her her first movie had a body horror inklings, and also wasn't the best movie ever. Uh, Honeymoon. I didn't catch that one. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a couple. It's a couple on vacation, and aliens appear, and and wackiness ensues, as it does with aliens. Of course, they do. All right, so. Now that we've talked about Crimes of the Future as upcoming new film, let's move backwards a bit and talk about our kind of own relationship with Cronenberg. And Lakota, let's start with you. What was the first Cronenberg movie that you really remember like seeing and loving? Uh, so when I was in high school, uh, one of the, the best ways uh, to watch horror movies online if you weren't paying for them was to find them in chunks on YouTube, like parts one, part two, part three, part four. And I remember very specifically the very first movie, uh, I, a Dave Kronberg movie I watched, and I watched it in that format was Scanners. It was, I, I just remember being really young and like constantly searching out new horror movies. And I don't remember how I came across it, but but I had been binging a lot of 70s centric stuff. And I, I came across it and I was sort of immediately in love with it but i didn't really understand directors and stuff at the time so i wasn't voraciously looking out his work after seeing it it wasn't until years later that i ended up uh searching his work out more kyle what about you the first one i remember seeing um i probably saw the fly first but at a very young age but the first movie that kind of fully connected with me where I kind of put two and two together about like Cronenberg as a director was probably history of violence. Like I remember seeing that when it came out and just being like pretty unsettled and unnerved by it. And it was like, something's up here. And it just didn't feel like the film that it had been marketed as. And it was like such a great feeling seeing like the subversion and this very unsettling concept of identity playing out and then that was like oh i have seen stuff by this guy so the history was the first movie that kind of clicked in my brain at a younger age and then from then on it was like 
the fly checked that out again and started like going through there and then Videodrome was the movie that was like oh holy shit like this guy's my guy so first of all i want to state that lakota you must be so much younger than me because honestly youtube wasn't even a thing when i was in high school <laughs> uh, the first thing that i saw i got this book when i was like sophomore year of high school and it was like a thousand one movies to see before you die and it had Videodrome and The Fly in there. And I was just like cruising through all these movies and like Salo uh, was on there. It was just like all these like fucked up movies. That's like, you got to see these. Um, so I was cruising through those. I didn't really know who Cronenberg was, but then, you know, Kyle, like you, I saw History of Violence and Eastern Promises. And that was like peak of my movie interest time. And then I started to realize, oh, this guy has been around for a while. And in like throughout college, I was just checking out his movies constantly. I've had a love affair with him ever since. And I've revisited a lot of those movies that I saw when I was younger. And my relationship to them has grown in appreciation. And I've started to love them a lot more as I've revisited them. And I've continued to just check out his movies all the time, uh, ever since that time. And just a very very important director have you guys found that where like your relationship with those movies has grown over time uh definitely it was also like the the thing where i like where it like clicked for me who he was and i started trying to hunt it down more was i worked with this guy tyler and i would always be like david lynch is so good and he's like if you like this david you really gotta search out this other david and so i started like really uh, I I binged so many of them at a time, but but uh, as the years have gone on, something about them I just always come back to them. They're so singular in their own way. Like you you, th there's a, a certain itch that I feel like only Cronenberg movies can scratch. Like it's so rare that even when people try to ape what he's going for, you never really get exactly what he brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like. Cronenberg's movies specifically even the ones that like don't work completely for me they're so much more interesting than just like anything else that comes out that I'm still there for it even if the movie's not like totally clicking with me because it's just like it's fascinating to see what he's exploring in these movies I was I was really impressed especially this is always the thing I've kind of noticed but having to sit down and watch so many for this specifically he doesn't really have any bad movies. Like they're all good in some way, shape or form, have some degree of, of something that's uh, uh, redeeming for them. Like it's, it's, I think that's the thing that draws me to him so much is because even before crimes now, he's got what, I think 21 features. That's, it's insane that you can have that many movies and not have a real dud somewhere in there. Um, it's just a lot to think about, but yeah, it, I think what really helps Cronenberg is the fact that his ideas seem to come out fully formed. There's no half-baked anything in his films, and even people have knocked on existence for not being quite, uh, doesn't quite capture like the feeling of video games or whatever. It's not about that. Like You can like, really parse through what it's going for, and also I think the older I get and the more I think about like, you know, the fact that just the, I think about mortality and everything, the movies kind of hit more, they become a little more cathartic and 
I don't know, I, I feel like they're almost therapeutic in how intense they are and how uh, mortality-centric they are. And I feel like I would get, I get much more out of these films and out of Cronenberg films than I do like someone like David Lynch, where it's like, yeah, that's, that's clicking into an emotional intelligence, but this is clicking into something that I feel like I completely understand and know on my bones. And yeah, it's more primal. That, it's more primal. It's more private. It's uh, there's just something in there that uh, works for me more so than most directors. Do you think David Lynch is his closest comp as a kind of contemporary? I think they have the same first name, <laughs> and I think the fact that they kind of deal with, I would almost hesitate to say that it's surrealism because Cronenberg films deal with things that feel abnormal and unnatural but it's not like it's outside of the realm of possibility everything is still flesh everything is still bone and blood Lynch seems to exist within this weird dreamlike realm I don't really see Cronenberg films as existing as dreams if that makes any sense both of their works deal with these very fringe people so disconnected from society. But I agree with Kyle where with with Lynch, it's sort of like a surrealistic dream disconnection where uh, Cronenberg, it's like you could be in a giant city, but you could still be part of this really weird, disconnected, small group. Uh, uh, that exists in a very tangible sense and i'd like to to just dip into like a psychology metaphor you can kind of compare cronenberg to freud and you can compare lynch to jung jung is more mystical he's more out there the whole idea of the collective unconscious and just every thought exists between everyone synchronous yeah yeah all that stuff Freud is very primal, very base, everything sexual, everything is this, everything is that. There is no changing it. I feel like Cronenberg kind of comes to everything from that aspect where Lynch is, his head's kind of in the clouds. So A Dangerous Method was really about Lynch and Cronenberg? That's what you're telling me? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I always do this thing in my head where like, I try and you know compare directors in kind of their contemporaries, their peers, Cronenberg is the only one where I've never really been able to find someone to like compare him against because I feel like he's so singular. Mm -hmm. And now you have like his own son at this point, but it's like, yeah, like there are the people that he's influenced, like Julia Ducournau and what she's doing and Brandon Cronenberg and what he's doing. But like, I don't feel like there's anyone from his kind of generation that was doing the same things as him. Like De Palma and Scorsese, you can always like draw through lines between them, you know, him and Coppola, same thing. But like, it just doesn't exist with Cronenberg, I've always felt like. There's there's not anything horror related, I feel that's nearly as cerebral, at least in like an American and Canadian space as much as his stuff is. Agreed. All right, so let's move to power ranking these things. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go through these, we're going to discuss, and we're going to have to come to some kind of collective agreement in how these things are ordered. That is going to be the difficult part. We're going to start out with 
tier six, and I've titled this tier the David Cronenberg student films. And this is his first two stereo and crimes of the future. Like anything that Cronenberg does, there's a lot of interesting stuff here, but also they're like barely even movies. <laughs> they're just yeah. like these weird voiceover things that are like kind of crazy and kind of wild. They have a lot of ideas, but eh, I mean, not something that I want to revisit really ever. They're, they're a little too unfiltered. Uh, I feel like I will, I will, uh, say up front now, I believe there was five or six movies that I didn't get around to rewatching and stereos and crimes of the future are definitely ones of those. Cause I, I knew that I didn't necessarily need to revisit them. They're there. You can really feel every sort of theme that he will encounter throughout his career in them but it's just through such a stream of consciousness that it's, it's almost sterile, I guess, which is, which is, you could say most of his work is sterile, but I feel like this is the most, this is the hand sanitizer of the <laughs> David Cronenberg movies. Uh, you got any problems with uh, our placement here? No, no problem whatsoever with stereo. Uh, Cause uh, that movie is a complete chore and <laughs> I, I have revisited Crimes of the Future more times than I thought I would. Um, for a moment there, that was, a, uh, that was actually on heavy rotation. Just this insane movie that is so dry, but I find it way more interesting than I think most people would. Yeah, I mean, I think what Lakota said is what it comes down to. Like, you can see all the ideas. Mm -hmm. It's just like, he hasn't really figured it all out yet. So that's also why I've titled it student films. It's like a film student just being like, I have these ideas and I don't know what I'm doing yet. And I'm just going to put them out there. Not as best, but you can see all the through lines, which makes them still kind of an interesting watch if you're a Cronenberg head. They're good ideas. In there. Like, there's great ideas in the films. It's just kind of a chore, a little you know, too experimental. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, tier five, I've entitled, are these really Cronenberg movies? There are quite a few oddities in his filmography but these two to me stand out kind of more so than some other ones that we'll get to um i have m butterfly his 1993 film uh short for madam butterfly and fast company his 1979 movie well Lakota, i can take m butterfly if you want to take fast company because i know your feelings on that one <laughs> yeah so i will wholeheartedly say m butterfly is a cronenberg movie through and through especially that last scene Oh, that last scene is probably my favorite ending to any Cronenberg movie, like hands down. And it is the the fact that that movie is all about identity and it's not a mystery. The movie is just so upfront with what it is and like who this character is and that what their gender is. And everyone thought it's like, oh, it's a mystery. It's a surprise. It's like, no, it's from frame one. It is telling you what's happening and just seeing Jeremy Irons just slowly sink into this fantasy and just go further and further into it is so fascinating to watch and it ends with a complete role reversal where he's become the butterfly and john lone is now like dressed as jeremy irons and their sections their the editing's intersecting them on their journeys i like it a lot i i agree i actually also enjoy it quite a bit it was one of the last few that i hadn't seen but i do agree that it is also well like i i but this is 
it, it's weird to sort of offer up the defense of I think it's a, a one of the most Cronenberg movies, which I do agree with. But it's like I think a conversation me and Kyle had recently that I sort of brought up was what is the least Cronenberg movie, and I don't really think that there is one because. Yeah. I don't think the man can make a move like obviously besides the fact that he is Cronenberg, but his themes are so palpable and the things that he loves are, are so palpable that in every single one of his movies, they're present. So to be clear, I do think this is also a Cronenberg movie. I just titled it so we could have this discussion. Um, but does it deserve to be higher than 19 or is its placement? Okay. Uh, it's, it's 15 on my list. Uh, let's see where I put this sucker. It was really so, hard to rank these movies. I had also. It at 14. It, it's a very hard list. I had it at 14. And this also changes like by the day. It'll be like, oh, and Butterfly is really good. I'd put that at like 11. And then the next day, eh, 14. I had it at 16. So clearly it should be higher. What do we think we should go at 19 here? Uh, I mean, 19 for me is Shivers. I put Fast Company at 19, even though I do really like Fast Company. They're just movies that I've way more enthusiastic about so it was that's where it's sitting currently it'll probably rise but uh if someone wants to change my mind i don't think i necessarily want to change people's minds on fast company but i did have fast company higher i have fast company at 14 Hmm. i found that even though it is probably the most uh, and I don't even think a real argument can be made against this, that it's it's the most basic Cronenberg movie. There are, there's a little bit uh, stuff going on deeper underneath, but for some reason when I watched just something about it hit me really well. Like I realized it's just kind of a goofy TV melodrama. You, you see a lot of um, Cronenberg's love of machinery. Like even though he is just doing a TV movie because it's going to get him money. It is still something that at least is within his wheelhouse and and technology you see explored throughout all of his work, including even some of his short films and other TV work like Italian machine and crash. And so I I think that it, it still feels just at home in his body of work, but I definitely can't entirely defend it to try to convince either of you to have it higher (laughs) because I realized that I have, not great taste sometimes. No, I actually quite like Fast Company too. And it's still a Cronenberg movie because it's just car parts instead of body parts. And it's it's wild that he's able to do that. It's uh, it's an accomplishment. As the host, I'm going to move us along and say that Fast Company is 19. I'm going to put Shivers at 18 because I think it has a lot of those stereo crimes of the future problem, even though it's much better than those, where it's like, this is a thesis statement but he hasn't quite figured it all out yet. And then I have Rabid at, uh, that puts us at 17. I have Rabid. Does that seem I would, fair? I would agree. I would agree with that. I, I enjoy Rabid more than I enjoy Shaver. Yeah, Rabid's a little bit more fun. I was just going to say, I absolutely love uh, the monologue about old flesh in uh, Shivers, and that kind of bumps it up a bit. But it, like, barely nudges it above. But Rabid's a much better movie. It's better paced. It's much uh way better made um more focused yeah and 
I, I just want to jump back into Fast Company, and I feel like that's a very important film for Cronenberg because I feel like if he hadn't have made that, I don't think he would have been focused enough for uh, Brood. And I think he he developed a much better technical sense on that film, and he became much more of a focused filmmaker through working on Fast Company. And I think we all have the Brood pretty high, so it's an important thing, yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. All right, so that puts us at 17, which brings us to 16, and that puts us in the third tier, where I would say kind of 16 through 11 are the films where we all like them. They're all fascinating, as we've said, but they're not quite like the top-level Cronenberg movies. That means we have M. Butterfly, Cosmopolis, Maps to the Stars, Scanners, A Dangerous Method, and Spider in this kind of tier. What's going to go 16 out of those for you guys? What should we put last in that? Maps Maps to the Stars, for sure. Yeah, hands down. (laughs) Really? I honestly fucking love that movie. I think it's hysterical. It's the most funny. It's the funniest fucking Cronenberg movie by far to me. Coming, Coming back to it, I will say I enjoyed it worlds better this time around i think as a whole i actually if i'm being totally honest much more enjoyed the second half of cronenberg's work than the first half i realized that the first half all the body horror stuff is what he's known for but when they sort of when he stripped away a lot of the the weird horror elements and focused on other things i i had so much more fun with those movies and i think that maps to the stars is by far one of his most uncomfortable movies. There's just like not a character in it that's redeemable in any way. They all suck. And just the way that just watching these terrible people interact with each other, and they're not even trying to out-terrible each other, but just who they are as people is is causing that to happen in front of you the whole time. I do love the uh, hospital scene with the, the kid getting the disease wrong. Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah that that scene is amazing it's just all cringe humor all the time and i i really like it but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fight too hard i got i got other arguments i'll save for later so let's go to the stars 16 yeah i got other hills to die but i will say i love maps of the stars Uh, i don't dislike it it's just not up there for me i hear you uh 15 are we cool with m butterfly here or should we go a little higher i can live with it at 15 i mean I suppose. I suppose that it's on fifteen on my list. So, all right, we're going with that at fifteen. I'm making an executive decision. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put forth Cosmopolis for fourteen. But Lakota, I know you like this movie, so I'm gonna give you a chance to convince me that it should be higher. Um, sort of in the same vein of of with Maps of the Stars. It's a hilarious movie. It's so dryly funny and i think that it feels just a little it feels more focused than maps to the stars does and even though it's just only people talking in cars the conversations are it's like everyone is almost having a conversation with themselves they're so tuned in to what their own what what they want in each situation that no one's really listening to each other and Robert Pattinson is just a fiend the whole movie like there's (laughs) it's just he's he's inscrutable the whole thing and 
I think that that last scene with Paul Giamatti is is one of the best just talking Cronenberg scenes. It's tense. It's funny. It's sad. It's weird. And just, I, I don't know, like something about Cosmopolis felt, even though we just talked about how everything is so Cronenberg-y, I felt like it was one of his most uh, Cronenberg type films. And it's also, I feel in a lot of them, they don't deal with capitalism as much. Like you definitely do run into it and it's in smaller amounts, but I feel like this is one of uh, an outlier where it sort of really focuses on a thing that he doesn't usually focus on. And I thought that was really cool. So Kyle, I'm going to throw it to you in a minute, but I had one thing that I kind of wanted to just touch on there. I also find Cosmopolis hilarious. And I think, Mm -hmm the maps to the stars comp is accurate in the sense that like it's more focused but that's what i like about maps to the stars is that it's so fucking batshit and it kind of captures (laughs) that hollywood thing so well in like a satirical way so that's that's why i just prefer that um but i absolutely hear what you're saying kyle what are your feelings on cosmopolis i love it i had it at 15 but I, i feel like i probably should have booted it moved it higher Something about Cosmopolis works for me, like right on down to the look of the film, the production design. It just feels like a mutant noir film. What was the question? <laughs> I I love how I, I love the also just the, the contrast of how much the world is falling apart all around. Robert Pattinson, but no matter where he is, everything is controlled and clean and put together. Like, even though uh, absolutely everything on the outside, there's just no redeeming it. He, it, it, it somehow, even with his own personal life sort of falling apart around him, it doesn't affect him at all in a strange way until you realize at the very end that it does. I just wanted to say one more thing that works for me. The fact that Robert Pattinson's only mission in the movie is to get a haircut. And <laughs> he gets it, and the haircut is terrible, and that's when things actually go south for him. Like only gets half a haircut. Things, yeah, he gets a bad haircut, and that's when things are bad for him. That's what I could imagine setting off one of those dickhead Wall Street bros. It's kind of perfect in its construction in that way. All right, so if we're bumping Cosmopolis higher, what do you guys think we should put at 14 scanners i'm fine with scanners at 14 i have it right around there yeah i'm fine with that i had it nestled at 12 just because of certain scenes and ideas but the main guy in the movie just really drags it down and it also was never never had a finished script and uh they technically didn't finish shooting what they had so I, I will say for it being unfinished, uh, I literally rolled credits on it before we started this call. So Scanners is very fresh in my brain. I w- and I know about the fact that it was sort of an unfinished movie. It doesn't feel as unfinished as I remember it being. No, it, it's a, it gets a little fast towards the end, but it, it is m- much more a full item than I remember it being. No, it, it's just a miracle of editing when you watch through it and you read what Cronenberg says they had to do in the editing room with flipping shots and voiceover and all kinds of things. And it's just a testament to editing as a form to just rescue a movie. Mm -hmm. It only has a few scenes that really make the movie shine, like the scanner baby scene 
the actual final confrontation but but as a whole i found a lot of it to kind of i my eyes were just like glazed over at the screen yeah. even with the, the amount of action that happens in it the head exploding scene is forever. fucking iconic that yeah. too yeah like you, you can't get away from that yeah. that's kind of the perfect cronenberg shot but then you have other scenes where he's strapped to a bed and it goes on for like 10 minutes and i was like okay we're still here can yeah, I agree? Move on. All right, so let's go scanners 14, Cosmopolis 13, or even higher. I, I can live with it being at 13. Same. All right, let's go Cosmopolis 13 then. So that leaves us with two, Dangerous Method and Spider. I, I like both of these movies quite a bit, so I don't really care which order they go in. Um, but I'm going to put forward Spider just because it's the movie that I feel kind of the most cold about just doesn't hit as hard for me oh no uh what were you going to say lakota i wasn't going to say anything i just know that you love spider and that you I, I do love i do love spider well, um, we love all these movies we got to make some tough decisions here that's fair that's fair <laughs> i can like, live with spider being there I, I i think that it is certainly an interesting movie but i find that singular person descent into madness type movies even the absolute best ones never truly land for me. Uh, Lakota, I think that's a really good point that I think what makes me prefer a dangerous method is the interplay between the three of them and their kind of collective misfortunes as well as growth versus just the kind of singular focus of that story. Um, Kyle, talk to us about Spider. So I rewatched Dangerous Method uh, the other day and it definitely has grown on me but I, I still feel a much greater connection to Spider. I, I like films that show active psychology rather than just talk about it. And there's still act, active elements of psychology and dangerous method, and it's, it's enthralling because of that. But to actually see, like, to get an experience of this, Spider is not a movie like repulsion or any kind of like movie where someone goes crazy you're just observing a mind kind of fraying itself and creating its own narrative and i think that's essential into like cronenberg's wheelhouse is understanding because he's always dealing with the mind he's always dealing with identity like the body, isolation isolation but it's the body is the extension of the mind as is technology is an extension of the body. And that's all that's Cronenberg's uh, wheelhouse. And I think watching a movie where it's a character fixating on a false narrative or an unsolvable narrative is to me much more Cronenberg than watching uh, basically the birth of psychoanalysis. I would much rather see this character go through these falsehoods and these weird fixations more so than this perverse uh, and wonderful uh, prestige film. I, I will say that it was weird watching A Dangerous Method and realizing how much, I don't know if it was purposeful, but it felt like someone went to David Cronenberg and was like, hey, have you ever tried to make an Academy Award winning movie? And so he tried, but 
he's so David Cronenberg that he was like, yeah, but I'm going to make it about this like really weird, uh, like this person who is dealing with all of these like sexual troubles and, and going to these psychologists to, to do everything she can to sort of work through them. And he just, he didn't drop the ball. He made a, a prestige movie. And in a way I'm surprised it didn't get more recognition than it did, but it, it does feel to be the most prestige version of, of his work possible. It's still yeah, it hysterically felt- funny just seeing it go from your typical like, all right, we can't see each other. That whole scene, the actors are, they're crying and everything. I was like, wow, they're really acting the hell out of this next scene. It's just like hard S&M spanking and stuff like that, like hard cut into yeah, that. Straight into it, yeah. It felt like after A History of Violence and Eastern Promises, probably two of his more accessible movies, that's what they were really going for. Like, let's use this to make a dangerous method and get you the recognition that you deserve. And yeah, you, you can feel it in it. And I, I agree with that. I was just going to harp on the fact that it's still sexuality is still an essential element to that film. I mean, you are dealing with early psychoanalysis and you are dealing with Freud and that has to be front and center so even though it's like hysterically funny that it'll cut to these sex scenes it's still absolutely essential and i just feel like the reason why it didn't fully connect is that it's almost chase is very it's very prestige but because he's dealing with certain things in such a matter-of-fact way i feel like most audiences just were like I came here to see great actors do stuff, and then now you cut to this. And the movie does that throughout, like all of Vincent Cassell's stuff, and he makes some interesting points when he's like talking about human relations and everything. And I think people were expecting one type of movie that, and it's still very prestige, but it's just you know Cronenberg's gonna Cronenberg, and he's you got to deal with such things when you're dealing with that kind of subject matter. Yeah, classic Cronenberg constantly subverting his expectations in the movies. Always. Has to. All right, so we'll put Dangerous Method at 12 and Spider at 11. Let's go to the top 10. We're going to divide this into two tiers, 10 through 6, and then 5 through 1. I don't even know what to put at 10. I know what I have at 10, but it feels wrong. Lakota, you put something forward for number 10 spot. Ten, 10 for me currently on my list is dangerous method so you'll have to you'll have to give me a second <laughs> i guess i guess for me personally and i had it much lower on my list even though i know that i think it's in both of uh, your your guys's uh, higher positions uh i had naked lunch at 17 i it was something about naked lunch did not hold my attention this time around which is weird because it's a very attention-grabbing movie. I have Naked Lunch at 10, so I would put it at 10. But I also, like, it feels wrong because it's also, it's his second funniest movie behind Maps to the Stars. It's fucking hysterical. I had it at 8, so I can live with it at 10 because it's still cracking the top 10. I think it's a very, it's a movie that Cronenberg made it's pretty much his hey i made some hits uh this is the movie that i've always wanted to make because that guy is obsessed with william burroughs and i think it's a wonderful biography about burroughs filtered through his style of writing and 
also it's very Cronenberg, but uh, I know Lakota, you didn't fully connect with it, and I was just interested to hear why. I don't. I don't know, honestly. It's because it, it, it's it's every second of it is either funny or there's amazing special effects with with strange things happening on all around you but i felt like the story at the heart of it wasn't deserving of how crazy everything that was happening around it was like the story just felt so simple uh, i don't know something about it just didn't click with me and i i when i watched it in the past i remember really really enjoying it and i was kind of surprised this time around that something about it just didn't land with me just it was weird how much attention to detail there was to everything else except for the narrative at large but it's also an adaptation that i'm not that familiar with i haven't read much burrows a past exterminator so and it's very much it's an impossible book to adapt like you could never ever adapt naked lunch it would cost so much money and you would be banned in every country on earth if you were to do it as is that like out there and it's that is highly sexual and insane uh the fact that they were able to pull it off uh, any kind of variation of a naked lunch film or just a william burroughs film in general is just kind of a miracle it doesn't adapt easily and Cronenberg feels like the only one who could have done it like the only person who could possibly adapt Burroughs is him and inject it with that level of humor like the scene where he's talking to the giant bug is one of the most hysterical things I've ever seen in any movie (laughs) it's so fucking funny Peter Weller's deadpan when he looks over and is sitting there just my god (laughs) I I will say uh, watching the movie and just being like, I can't believe that this is Peter Weller in this role and that he is just so straight faced the entire time is insane. It's the, it's the only way you could play it in that movie, like because of how bonkers it is that then it turns it into this like extra layer of comedy because he is just so deadpan and straight faced the whole time. Never questions anything. Just think no. absolutely insane and new happens in front of him, and he's just like, "I'm just gonna go with it." Here I am. Oh, yeah, that's that's central to Burroughs too. That guy was pretty much about a limitless life experience. Like just whatever's gonna come at you, whatever kind of fetish, whatever you want, whatever you need, just go with it. Just don't step on anyone's toes. All right, I'm just going to make an executive decision. Naked Lunch is at 10 because Lakota had it low. I had it at 10. You had it at 8. That just seems fair. That's fine. At 9, I'm going to put forward Crash should be at 9. Crash was my number 4. What, what about you, Kyle? Crash is definitely like a number 4 idea, but in terms of movies that I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this and enjoy it. And it's, it's a little lower. I hate watching crash so much it's such an unpleasant same i think everyone does such an unpleasant experience but every i've seen it twice now i actually watched it there was one i watched this morning before scanners and every time i watch it it stays with me for days and there's so many things about it that just i I don't know like for for some reason it just it, it gets in your brain and stays there 
every character is so strange and depraved, but yet somehow there's always another character that's stranger and more depraved than the next one. And I, I think that it's just such an interesting story. I, I don't know. Like, I, I wish I had a, a way to better build off of it and talk about it from like a psychological standpoint or something. I think psychologically speaking, the thing about this movie that makes it kind of beautiful through all the grotesqueness is that people are finding connection through this grotesqueness and like ultimately finding their kind of equals in that way. And that like, there's a place for everyone in this world. So there is something beautiful at the core of it. Ultimately though, I side with Kyle that like, this is a, this is probably his best idea movie, like number one to me, but like, I just, I can't find myself wanting to sit down and watch it ever because it is so like, hard to watch and it does put me in like a pit of despair for a day afterwards i'd be willing to put it as high as like seven because it is so good in its idea and conception and execution the only thing that knocks it down for me is like watchability it's fair i mean seven i think is a a good place to go for it. it this is definitely his most complete film like all around the idea is just perfect the film the film completely works with what it's going to. In all fairness, it probably is his best film. It should be number one, but because it's such a difficult sit uh, in terms of, it's just, it's not a watchable movie, but it's not designed to be watchable. I, I think that there's something to be said about being able to to make a movie so unpleasant and have that effect on people while watching. All right, let's go crash at seven. Let's do it. Yes. Let's make let's make the decision. So something's got to go at nine. Kyle, what's it going to be? My ninth place was History of Violence. I ended up moving that one out in favor of another movie. And I really like History of Violence. I, I'm not sure if it's deserving of a ninth place, though. I might move Existence to ninth place. Uh, that's what I was going to I was going to yeah. suggest. My ninth as well. Hard no on a History of Violence going. Yeah, that's. Well. Thinking about saying it out loud, it's like, no, it's, it's way better than that. Yeah, I mean, I love Existence. I feel like that movie could have been so successful had it not come out at like the same time as The Matrix because it's dealing with so many of the same ideas and concepts, but then The Matrix is just so huge that it kind of completely just like blew it out of the water. But I love Existence a lot. Um, I think this is probably most exciting and like thrilling movie while still staying true to his ideas, but it probably does deserve to be like around this like nine, eight area. You can also feel uh, a little more of uh, his influences rather than him in this. Like this movie is all Philip K. Dick. Like this movie is all Philip K. Dick. They even have Perky Pat in there. So it could, there are elements of it that probably should have been better and it feels a little rushed like it's just that's that's my biggest issue but i don't think the the rush elements totally kill it because he is also breaking reality and like constantly moving you through things here and there but uh the scenes work incredibly well like the uh the chinese restaurant scene is one of my all-time favorites that uh concepts in the movie are great um it just feels like it doesn't fully click compared to some of the others that are going to be higher and like it's not a better movie than history of violence i i think with existence this is the only cronenberg movie i have this one specific complaint about 
and that it's not long enough. I think it could have used like two or three more scenes with a little bit more of the weird like organic gun stuff just like it 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 felt really imbalanced to me where there was a, a the little shine through moments of of weird organic stuff but like especially once the the army like comes in and starts attacking i just i, I don't know like so, something about it just felt very disjointed to me and i can't entirely i was just gonna say the disjointedness does factor into it that is definitely i feel like there's a little more of a deliberate reasoning for it because he's just fracturing because they're in the game game yeah but i i do think that like to to build off a thing i said very early of where it's like he doesn't really have any bad movies i I think that a a really big strength for cronenberg and i didn't notice it until i was actually going through and watching these is all of his movies are so tightly made like 70 percent of them are an hour and a half or like maybe like an hour 35 hour 39 and you've got a couple outliers like dead ringers which is like an hour 55 or something um but it's it's he's so good at making a really tight movie and i think that existence just had the screws turned a little too much where like usually i feel like a movie needs like one or two more screw turns i feel like this one had one or two too many also criminal criminal lack of willem dafoe in the sense of how have we not gotten a willem dafoe david cronenberg full length movie like how have we only gotten those few scenes with willem dafoe in a cronenberg movie because i feel like those two were made to work together oh yeah agreed just that scene with him putting the part into Jude Law's back is so wonderfully sexual. It's in Cronenberg setting, he was like, I didn't anticipate that. They just started playing it that way. And he was like, oh, okay, go for it, I guess. So Defoe is definitely on his wavelength. And he's only in two scenes, and those scenes are uh, too short. I, need, I do need more as well. So I think that'll probably knock it down the list of uh, criminal underuse of Willem Dafoe. I just kind of find it remarkable that Cronenberg made like an epic action movie while still keeping it to be a Cronenberg movie. Only him. Yeah. All right. So if that's going to live at nine and Crash is going to live at seven, what's going into that number eight spot? I'm going to say Brood. I I don't know if anyone else agrees. I have it a bit higher, but not that much higher that I couldn't live with it at eight and there's no way the history of violence is going that low <laughs> i i had brewed at number four i can uh, attempt to live with it i can try <laughs> what else could go at number eight i feel like i like brewed a hell of a lot more than dead zone and dead zone's really good too i don't see that in the eighth spot for me personally i I can I can live with Brood only because it's earlier and it still is a little rougher around the edges, but that doesn't mean I don't want to talk about the Brood. Okay, I'll say yes, it's fine. It's fine. No, no, I'm I'm making an executive decision as the host of this podcast. Dead Zone is going at eight. Brood is going at six. Oh, oh. because I could also the Dead Zone's the only other one I could live with at eight, and I like the Brood better. So making an executive decision as the person who's made the most compromises thus far. Let's go dead zone. 
Fair. Do you have anything? I, I had Dead Zone at six. Seems fair. I I I loved Dead Zone this time around. I was dreading rewatching Dead Zone. I thought Dead Zone was going to be really really low on my list, but something about it just landed just right for me this time. I kind of forgot how much of a political thriller it shifts into. Uh-huh. And I love a good political thriller. And I feel like there's that's not really a thing that you run across in Cronenberg's work that often. Like there are obviously traces of it, but there, it's never truly like the focus of one of his things. And I think it's also really weird that it goes from being like this very low stakes horror thriller to just very suddenly switching it it gears completely and becoming a political thriller like I I don't know if it's necessarily the cleanest shift ever but it's such a weird combo of movie and one thing and I haven't read the Dead Zone book so I imagine that that's more of a Stephen King thing than a Cronenberg thing and there while there are a lot of elements of Cronenberg in it I do feel like you feel Cronenberg probably the least out of most of his movies in Dead Zone. I don't know if anyone else agrees with me on that. I could, there's definitely some Cronenberg elements, but he is also, that does feel like more of a for hire film for him compared to most of them. Cause we've talked about how dangerous method and naked blanche and others still, he still filters himself in there, even though like dangerous method could have been directed by anyone is definitely a Cronenberg movie and this he's definitely in there uh but it still feels like a very respectful adaptation of King so this is how I would put it it's probably like top top five Stephen King films like Stephen King adaptations I would say uh Cronenberg did one of the best ones but it feels more like a Stephen King film than it does a Cronenberg movie even though He's in there, especially in that scene with the scissors. A lot of the psychological, like, isolation that he feels after being in a coma and being so removed, like, that still feels true to Cronenberg and his work. But the it is ultimately and, Stephen King. Yeah, the and, and the premonitions themselves. Yeah. Like, like, having the power of premonition. Well, not to mention the premonitions physically harming and aging Christopher Walken. Like, his body is breaking down his mind is also breaking down because he just cannot live a normal life. And this is, you know, you could take that as a metaphor for anything, like any debilitating illness or physical disability or anything. This is a man trying to basically keep a functioning mind and body. And that is Cronenberg through and through. All right. So that puts us at... Number six, we had Naked Lunch at 10, Existence at 9, Dead Zone at 8, Crash at 7, and we're going to put The Brood at 6. All right, Kyle, take it away on The Brood. That, to me, is the the film that uh, he fully clicks for the first time. Like, it's obviously rougher around the edges, but you see, like, the David Cronenberg, like, you can see inklings of it in Rabbit and uh, Shivers, but on the Brood, you you pretty much get like the this is this is David Cronenberg. This is what he's going to be doing from here on out. 
and it's a tight story too and it's just so zeroed in on this breakdown of a family and zeroed in on human trauma as well as like Oliver Reed's character being a kind of a charlatan even though what he's doing is incredibly interesting but it's just is it good psychology or is it just pop psychology that's physically damaging these people and I feel like Cronenberg has a lot to say about it the one thing that I think kind of holds the movie back just a smidge is that it's it's so focused on moving forward it's so focused on a forward trajectory that there's no time for anything else so I think the characters kind of suffer you don't really fully connect with the husband character even though he's going through this huge divorce he's just kind of bland he's kind of there it's really samantha eggers who's just carrying that movie for me i actually don't have a ton to say about the brood the brood is uh one of the last two that i actually didn't rewatch for this because i watched it maybe four or five months ago um i remember i i agree with pretty much everything kyle kyle is saying about how it's the movie where you you can tell that now he has all of his ducks in a, like Kronberg has all of his ducks in a row thematically. He's kind of actually figured out how to make a movie now and have it be consistently engaging. Also, even though it is the best of those early movies, I find with a lot of his movies up until then, you can feel the low budget trapping so much like in so many so often it feels like you're just like in a room with like thin plywood walls with no paint on them or anything and it just kind of feels like he knew a guy who who knew a guy who had a location that they could shoot in which is indie filmmaking to a t but it's it's so weird how much more you can feel it in these movies that feel like you can feel in other indie movies. The only thing I'll add is it's the second best divorce movie ever. The first being Kramer versus Kramer. Even though The Brood is a far more interesting movie. Never seen Kramer. Have you ever heard the Kramer versus Kramer? I have, and it's funny and it's accurate, but also he's wrong about that movie. It's a really good movie. What's his quote? It's a my film is like Kramer versus Kramer, only it's more realistic. <laughs> hey, I don't disagree with them, but Kramer versus Kramer rules. I love, right. I love this, like the real life story of of the brood and stuff, and how he had to like get his, try to like save his kid from going off and joining a cult and stuff. So I, I like the lore of the brood a lot as well. I think that gives a lot to the movie, but you have to be a person who cares about learning the backstory of like the media you're consuming. Yeah, but you can still get that sense in the brew that Cronenberg is on a mission to make this movie absolutely his way. So, and I think that is almost a detriment because he's just zeroed in on just making it this way uh, to the point where it's it's just so tight that there's no real room to breathe and there's no real room for character. It's just getting to that final scene. All right, so that brings us to the top tier, the top five. I don't love it, but it seems like a history of violence probably belongs in five. Yeah, I'd agree. I can accept. Hot take, history of violence was at number one for me. Really? Yeah. We, we can talk. Uh, yeah. No, let's talk. 
I don't know what it was about history of violence this time around. I think it's some of the best culmination of a lot of things. Like, like I think it's like his best version of a more prestige movie, but it's also less so than Dangerous Method, but I still feel like it's a little more successful than Dangerous Method is in it, even though it's less of a prestige movie, if that makes any level of sense. Um, I think that it's an amazing thriller. I think that Cronenberg does some of his absolute best work when it's not his own work in a weird way, but he finds work that really fits his sensibilities and finds a way to, uh, he just heightens the material somehow. I think that it's one of his most meticulously directed movies, even though he makes so many movies and he has so many themes and so many things that he plays with. I feel like he's not always the most flashy director but when he does do directorly things you can really feel that he's there and history of violence has a lot of that in it i think there's a lot of really interesting long shots in it just the small amounts of of little curveballs and stuff that he throws at you i think they're they're very expertly put in front of you every every character feels so real like even small characters there's like the annoyed noise woman annoyed newswoman who is trying to talk to vigo as he's getting out of his car like right after the diner thing happens and she's trying so hard to get anything out of him and he's just stonewalling her and they just have like a couple second thing right before it moves into the next scene where she's just like is that really all we're gonna get out of this dude guys let's just leave and it's like you don't need to have that weird little aside like it wasn't necessary but with how fleshed out every character is it it just added a little bit more to the movie and like made it feel even though in a way it's uh, an unbelievable story it feels like a story that is the one of the most likely of his works to happen i always love in in a history of violence so tight that you feel the violence it's like when you you have these thrillers like violent things happen all the time but you just pass right by them but because cronenberg's doing it when like a head explodes it feels like a fucking head is exploding and it's still like so perfectly done and it grounds it in a way that like now nah, this shit's real this shit yeah. is disgusting and awful and even though i'm making a thrilling exciting movie like let's not forget that this shit is fucking like horrifying the jaw scene where the guy's jaws practically blasted off, that scene lives in my head. Like, I can't forget that image. And that was one of the, that was like the first instance where, you know, Cronenberg kind of dug into my brain because that's what actual violence is. It's something you have to look away from. Yeah. And this movie does that perfectly, like right down to the nose break. There, there are instances where you remember you remember the visceral moments because they scar you, because they are violent. They are difficult to look at, as they should be. And this movie is one of the few movies that actually gets violence correct. And that's why it works wonders for me. The only thing that kind of pulls this movie back, uh, there are two things. There are movies that I just I gravitate more towards. And I love William Hurt but I feel like his character is a little like a hair too over the top. And too it kind goofy. Of like, yeah, he's a little too goofy and that kind of like messes with the, the last act for me. It kind of, it feels like you get William Hurt, he's a little too goofy and then they, it feels like they almost rush through it. But the, the instances 
of violence and everything, how the last sequence plays out, it still works for me, but they're just like the little elements don't quite add up for me as well as they do for other things, but that's not, it does not break the movie whatsoever. It's just why those are the reasonings I have for maybe bringing it down a bit. The end of the movie, you know, even though it's the end of the movie, it's just not the end of the story. Like he, oh, yeah. he has to come home and this is now just a thing this family is going to have to deal with in some way, shape or form forever. So I have this at three. <laughs> Lakota, you have us at one. So I'm going to make executive decision and we're bumping it higher. It's going to four. So what's going to live at five, Lakota, if we're going to bump this up? Eastern Promises for me. <laughs> Fuck no. Damn it. <laughs> I try and extend an olive branch and get you a history of violence higher. And now you're going to drop Eastern Promises. Uh, no. Uh, fine. I, if you're going to do that, then the history of violence is living at five. <laughs> <laughs> I do not accept. I, I will say, I, I like... I will rewatch history. I've rewatched history more than I've rewatched Eastern Promises. But Eastern Promises is just a little, a little messier, a little less immediately interesting to me than History of Violence. I think they're they're definitely close in terms of quality, and it's very hard to sort of choose. Like once you get to the top five, it's like don't make me choose. I don't know. I rewatched Eastern Promises last night and. I don't know what it was about this time, but it really clicked for me. And like the, there were these insane, like minute details and nuances for performances, like micro nuances, micro details, like the way Vigo's inflection on the line, I'm just a driver after being told like this girl was 14. It's just the way his voice kind of lilts for half a second it's like I was picking up more and more of these types of things. And I'm sure if I were to like deep watch uh, History of Violence, it's probably in there too, because you have quality director and quality actor, but it just, it really clicked for me. But wow. still, uh, just to cause Corey further pain, I'd be down to put it in the fifth uh, spot. No, <laughs> I refuse. Why, why do you love it so much, Corey? <sighs> to me, this is the most emotionally interesting movie. Um, like you guys are, or Lakota, you're talking about story and like this story of Naomi Watts finding this girl and going on this mission to just find her mother. And Viggo Mortensen's involvement in this world and the way that he brings her into it is by far the most interesting story from like a pop filmmaking sense, because this is ultimately like, it's a popcorn movie but it's still a Cronenberg popcorn movie. And so all of the moments where like the naked fight in the sauna and he jabs a knife into a guy's eye, like it's the same things with the history of violence where like the violence is very real, but it's still grounded in this very real story and an emotional story of just trying to help this little girl, this baby who had nothing to do with her birth, like have a life that is actually worth living. That like grounds me in this movie more so than, anything that Cronenberg does even though it's his most straightforward story so like I could live with it at like three I could live with it at four probably even because I know that it's his most straightforward but in that straightforwardness like he still makes a beautiful affecting movie to me it also has 
probably the most I, emotional performances out of uh, most of the main cast. Like even down to Vincent Cassell just breaking down over the child. It's just these these moments of quality acting, that, and there is a lot more outward and like not obvious emotion, but it's just there's far more emotion to this one than there there would be for anything. And I think that it's that makes it probably his most mainstream because he's it's Cronenberg with the most heart. I, I will also say I would almost disagree with it being one of his most straightforward movies because like I was talking about before how there's like with, with some of his movies there you can feel that there's a deeper story going on where they're not necessarily talking about it but you can just like feel it and, and also to build off of Kyle's thing about micro expressions and stuff there is like the whole the whole story with Vincent Cassell where you kind of spend the whole movie questioning if he has I don't know if anyone else picked on this if he has some sort of love or or sexual lust for Viggo Mortensen like there, there's all these like weird little did, Kyle just gave me a weird look no no, no I'm nodding I'm about. saying it's it's right there like that is okay a cool big thing with Vincent Cassell's okay, character cool. oh yeah they're in love or well it's, and, a, and it's a very I, one-sided love but yeah. they are and I, I think it, it's so cool how many smaller stories are being told, but not through words throughout the whole movie. Like the, there are already multiple plot lines going on in the main movie itself, but there's all just the, these like little uh, capsule stories going on in it. And I think that it excels at that, like telling uh, what, what is the, uh, there's a specific thing for it. I guess saying the quiet parts out loud is is one of the biggest things that eastern promises excels at agreed uh so i'm going history of violence five i'm going eastern promises four because i am compromising last question before <laughs> we get to the top three how high do i have to allow videodrome to go so videodrome is three for me videodrome's like 15 for me but i know <laughs> i'm wrong so like yeah. i just accept that it can live at three and i'll be fine with that because i know i'm wrong about it I so I'm I'm weird on Videodrome. I th- would I almost in a way agree with 15. I really <laughs> I, <laughs> I really enjoy it. It's one of his most weirdly watchable movies. But I never am any situation where someone's like, let's watch Videodrome. I'm like, okay, yeah, like a movie I know I'm gonna enjoy to some degree, but I'm always kind of like, but we could watch something else i think videodrome is the movie of his that i've seen the most it's certainly it's funny i'm wearing a videodrome shirt right now um as i'm saying it's like my number 15 (laughs) um it's i i I had it so high because i think that it is the first like like how we said that like fruit is the first one where he like really arrived i think videodrome is the first one where you're like okay he really knows what he's doing now like this is truly purely he's it's a it's it's a well-structured movie it's well-paced it's got all sorts of weird wacky stuff going on crazy special effects deep themes interesting ideas uh, all the crazy sexual stuff at the forefront but there's just somehow it never fully clicks for me. I think the last like 20 minutes of it kind of fall apart for me a little bit. I'm always more interested in everything leading up 
to the climax and when the climax happens i'm always left feeling a little hollow i guess but i i, I would still watch it before i watched other Cronenberg movies for sure well it's it presents itself and it's similar to crash and that you're kind of dealing with all these abstract concepts and they're not told in a it's filtered almost through a kind of genre film but it's also james woods uh getting a television off and it's it's not very it doesn't lend itself to an easy watch which i mean i don't rewatch videodrome all the time but the thing that it has i think over crash is that it's a genuinely funny movie and james woods kind of carries that flick uh front and back but to me, the reason I included it in the uh, the number two spot is that I think it's probably one of his best idea films. Like Crash is very, Crash is probably the most crystallized idea, but Videodrome is just a blast to sit through this maniac's uh, mind. And like, I, I'm fine with it living at three. I I don't, like, I wouldn't argue that this movie would be more affecting than certain other films because there are other films that are easier to sit through and are easier to emotionally connect to. But I feel like you're not supposed to emotionally connect. It's a strictly observational film. There's no real emotional weight to it. And I think that'll probably hurt its chances. But I don't think the movie's designed that way. Uh, it, it's just uh, it i think david cronenberg's really good at making wet movies and videodrome you can just feel how wet of a movie it is so i'm allowing it to live at three even though it's lower all i'm gonna say is it's one of those idea movies where it's like i get it technology is going to eat all of us but i'm just not that interested and well, eastern promises is super wet because they're also in a sauna and i love eastern yeah. promises and forget it's also london and london <laughs> just raining but is technology really going to eat us though why can't we just merge with it and uh, become a new form isn't it a happier ending is it i think we're getting eaten by it we're talking over fucking computer screens right now anyway uh <laughs> moving on <laughs> what's going to be two dead ringers or the fly fly uh fly. Uh, i i Dead yes, riggers. I would, I would have. I would have flies too. Uh, fine. I always lose <laughs> in my own podcast. This is bullshit. <laughs> Can't even let me have Eastern promises. You guys suck. All right. So the fly is at two. I can't argue. I have it at two. Um, I do not have dead ringers at two. But you know, anyway. Uh, so the fly is at two. Why is dead ringers better than the fly? Jeremy Irons. <laughs> this is the best movie where the same actor is playing two I, roles at once it's so fucking good the fly is uh, is the last of the six movies that i didn't rewatch for this but i've seen the fly so many times and it's one of my favorite movies ever but i did rewatch dead ringers for this and the whole time i was transfixed to the screen and i was like i, I gotta put this higher than the fly it just there's the atmosphere to the film is incredible like you can cut it with a knife just again like jumping into details the the fact that the apartment is designed to resemble like an aquarium like from the lighting down to it's just you're observing these two monsters in their uh their habitat and 
just the way they frame things, the way the characters move together, the blocking, the technical elements. It's probably my favorite Cronenberg movie look-wise. I don't For know. Sure. I, just, I think everything about it just kind of clicks together. And that's the movie where you can tell Cronenberg probably, uh, he took everything he learned from the fly and decided he was just going to put it all on the screen. And you can tell like, this is just, Cronenberg giving it 110%. I, I mean, there are scenes in that movie that just from the cuts will live in my head. Like the, there's a, a scene where uh, Elliot Mantle, the one, the more charming twin, uh, is delivering a speech to a group of uh, doctors, and it's just a one wide shot of him in the distance in an auditorium and then it reverses to a shot of behind him and there are no close-ups in that scene and it's just the movies creating a really unnerving atmosphere just by creating moments like that that it's just you can't fully comprehend what a person can be you can't really get a close-up until it's at the most uncomfortable moment in the most uncomfortable time and Jeremy Irons just is on a different level in that film performance wise. And it's also really funny. I think, I think it's uh, on the, the earlier discussion or conversation of like where there was, what's the, the least Cronenberg movie. I think that dead ringers is the most Cronenberg movie there. Sure. It's so it, yeah, there's just like it's got everything that you're looking for in a Cronenberg. It is like it is his greatest hits album, except it's one movie. You know, like it's weird sexual stuff. It's got doctors. It's got weird psychological stuff. It's got horror elements that, even though it's not necessarily a horror movie, it's the scariest movie you've ever seen. Like it's it the weird mutant instruments just like there's there's something about it that is just so entirely cronenberg it's it's body horror in its simplest form and is so calculated even though you're not seeing people transform into different things like like bev and elliot are so clearly the same person even though they're brothers and, and they're disconnected from each other, you know? I can't, I can't argue that it's appropriate to have the most Cronenberg movie at number one on the list of Cronenberg movies. It, it seems appropriate to me. I don't know, man. That, that is a, a heavy film, if ever there was one. And uh, it's, I think, the, like, the first Cronenberg movie that really, like, knocked my socks off. Do we have anything to say about the fly? I feel like we uh, skated by it. I don't think we need to talk about the fly too much because I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but it's David Cronenberg's most well-known movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Every, everybody knows about the fly. And I feel like that ending is soul crushing. Yeah. Damn right. I mean, it's a damn good movie and it should be it too, but I feel like we don't need to analyze it too, too much. Also, we got to get out of here. So that brings us to the end. Our top 10 is Naked Lunch, number 10, Existence, number 9, The Dead Zone, 8, 
Crash 7, The Brood 6, History of Violence 5, Eastern Promises 4, Videodrome 3, The Fly 2, and Dead Ringers 1. How do we feel about that? I can live with it. <laughs> That's what happens at the end of all these. Dude, no one's history happy. Dirty. <laughs> yeah. No one's happy. <laughs> it's still in the top 10. <laughs> it's in the top 5. Yeah. Yeah, but no one's happy, and everyone's compromised. And you know, Kyle got <laughs> his number one movie at number one, and Damn he's just right, sitting pretty over there. Mother I mean, mother. I'm okay with it. I'm fine. <laughs> I won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So, Lakota, where can we find your stuff online? Zoom Pictures, Instagram. It's really, really the best spot to find any of my film-related work at this point. Kyle, where can we find your stuff? Dirty Sweater Productions on Instagram is also another easy place to find us. Um, that's where we do the most updates, too. So, Instagram. And what's going on with uh, Earworm? You're in the throes of editing? Yeah, slowly chipping away at it. It's looking pretty good. Um, hopefully, we'll have uh, something to pass off to people in the next couple months. Nice. Looking forward to that. At the very least, a trailer. Oh, a trailer. And we almost did the other night. Oh, so man, uh, I better, I better get a sneak peek from you, bitches. <laughs> Absolutely. And just give you unrendered footage here. <laughs> Make of this what you will. <laughs> I'll, I'll fuck with it. All right. So you can find us on at Back Porch Media on Instagram and at porchback media on twitter and you can find us on spotify and apple podcasts and wherever you like to listen to people talk you can rate and review if you feel like it or you can just do none of those things and show up when we ask you to like kyle does i got nothing to say (laughs) i won't even dignify that with a remark fair enough we're gonna get out of here gentlemen it was an absolute pleasure even though none of us are happy except kyle (laughs) i'm i'm fine all right that is it from us we'll see y'all